Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. Have you ever thought about how much faith it takes to live this life? Like, I'm not even talking about God or Jesus or the church or anything right now. Like, just think about how much faith it takes you to sit in the chair that you're sitting in right now. You don't know who made it. You don't know if all the screws are in it. You don't know if the, they're not, Trevor said. Trevor was a part of the team that put them together. So I, I promise you, it takes a lot of faith to sit in the chair that you're sitting in right now and just believe that it's going to hold you up, right? It takes a lot of faith. Now, maybe, maybe in the future right now, I'm speaking, and this is kind of like Inception right here. I'm speaking to someone that's listening to this on a podcast. Several days from now, they're driving in their car listening right now. I'm speaking to you. If you're listening in your car, driving, listen to this podcast, or maybe you're, you're, you're going to get in your car in a few minutes and drive home. How much faith does it take to believe that your car is going to work the way it's supposed to work? Like that the tires aren't just going to fall off. Like the guy that changed your tires the last time, he actually screwed all those like lug nuts on tight and did what he was supposed to. Like that the engine's going to work the way that it's supposed to work. Like how much faith does it take just to get in your car and just believe it's going to do what it's supposed to do, right? I I drive a used kind of hoopty. It takes a lot of faith to believe when I put the key in the ignition, like it's going to drive and do what I want it to do. Every single night when you lay down in your bed, you lay down, you say you're not good, not, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, right? You just, you're just believing, just with enough faith, that the guys that built your roof put enough nails in those frames that it's not going to collapse on you in the middle of the night, right? Now, I've scared some of you to death right now. You're going to go home and check your tires, check the lug nuts, check the, the nails in the attic. No, no, but just think about the fact that we just go through life believing that certain things are going to do what they're supposed to do and certain things are going to happen the way that we've been told or the way that we've been conditioned to believe that they're going to happen. And so we just walk through life living by faith whether we are a Christian or not. It doesn't have anything to do with God at this point. It doesn't have anything to do with church or, or Christianity. This is just walking through life, living our lives, believing that everything's going to turn out the way that we were told it's going to turn out. And then we get into those moments where things are a little more uncertain. We get a bad report from the doctor for us or somebody that we know or love. And so now we're not really sure what's supposed to happen. And so now we start praying and believing for God to intervene in that situation and to do something and to show up. And maybe you've walked a scenario like I've walked in my family and things like that. Maybe it worked out really good for you. Maybe, maybe that person got better or you got better or they were healed or maybe they didn't. Maybe you prayed as earnestly as you could pray and they still passed away. So what does that mean about faith? And what does that look like as we wrestle with this idea of faith and praying prayers and believing God and believing in things to be how we want them to be or to be the way that we think God might want them to be when things go our way or when things don't go our way? Today we're going to continue in the series that we've been in for several weeks called Things We Wish Jesus Didn't Say. These are just things in Scripture, mostly in the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus is on the earth He's walking around the earth, he's doing life, he's doing ministry, and he said some things that like if you're just kind of reading them or you've been in the church a while, you just kind of take them at face value and you go, yeah, well, that's what Jesus said and that's what he meant. But if we really, really look to unpack these things, they're, they're challenging some of them, they're confusing some of them, and so we want to try to figure out what it meant, what he meant to those people and what it might mean to us. And so today, if you've got a Bible, I want you to flip to Mark chapter 11. 
Mark chapter 11, again, I, I referenced earlier that the Gospels were Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These were the four books that were the, the, the greatest place to see the accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus on earth. And so Mark is one of those books. And so we're looking at Mark chapter 11. This is nearing the end of his life on earth. And we're going to read in verse 20 and through 22 here initially, and then we'll keep reading in just a few minutes. And we're going to look at this story that's really kind of weird if you just kind of zoom right into this verse. But we'll zoom out a little bit and see what it might mean to us. Mark 11, 20 through 22 says this. In the morning as they went along, they is Jesus and the disciples, as they went along, they saw the fig tree. Instead of it saying a fig tree, it says the fig tree. So it's talking specifically about one fig tree that they would have some understanding or context about, which we'll come to in a second. They saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered, he remembered something that had previously happened, and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Have faith in God. So if you were just to take at face value these three verses, 20, 21, and 22, you see something really random happening. You see Jesus walking around with his disciples. They pass by this fig tree that evidently something previous to this had happened. And Peter remembers, oh, that's the same fig tree. And he says, hey, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed, which seems weird. So we're going to talk about why, why did he curse it? The fig tree that you cursed, it's withered. And then Jesus, in response to that, just says, have faith in God. So what does a fig tree have to do with anything here? What we're looking at is we're looking at a story in Mark 11 where Jesus and the ministry of Jesus is really about the kingdom of God. It's about the establishment of his kingdom. So if you go to the very beginning of Mark 11, this is the place where you see that Jesus sent his disciples into town. said, hey, there's going to be a colt that's tied up. Go and get it and bring it to me. And then he gets on that colt and he rides into town. And as he's riding into town, everybody starts singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, um, he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so they're celebrating him and they're worshiping him. And then he gets done with that. And we see that he, he's hungry. It says that he was hungry. And so he sees this fig tree and so he goes over to it because he sees that it has leaves and so he goes over to it to find fruit and when he gets over there there's no fruit on this fig tree and so he curses the fig tree now we could unpack that for a lot but today we're not talking about fig trees we're talking about faith but let's just say right here that evidently there was something about the fact that there were leaves there were the appearance of health but no fruit from this fig tree that God wanted to confront in this story and so Jesus looks at this thing that appeared to be healthy but actually wasn't bearing fruit hello and so he says there's something about this that I want to confront and so he curses the fig tree. He says, okay, if you're not going to bear fruit, then you're not good for the kingdom. There's nothing that you have to contribute to the kingdom. It doesn't matter how much you put on that you look good or look healthy or might have something to contribute. If you don't have fruit, then there's nothing good in you. And so he curses it. And so later when they come back to this, Peter sees that same fig tree and he sees that now a day later it has withered away. So when Jesus just pointed at it and cursed it, it now has wilted down where there is no health or life there to mimic what was going on on the inside that wasn't producing or bearing fruit. You also see in Mark 11 that Jesus walked into the, to the temple there and he sees all these people that were like money changers. They were selling the sacrifices. It was that, you know, you brought sacrifice to the temple in that day. And so these people were standing there at tables and they were saying to you, hey, you want to come and buy sacrifice from us? Instead of you bringing your own sacrifice, they're saying, no, 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 I'll, I'll give you a more excellent sacrifice and it'll just cost you like $3, $5, $10. And so they were exchanging your money for sacrifice that they deemed acceptable or more acceptable than the sacrifice you brought. And so Jesus walks in and sees this and he turns over the tables and he, he gets really angry. We see this kind of outburst of emotion in Jesus and we see that he says, 
says that this is a den of robbers and how dare they become these thieves. Is that What they're doing is they're taking money from these people and trying to be the ones that say what is or what is not an acceptable sacrifice. And so he turns it up. It's about kingdom. It's about authority. It's about who Jesus is. And so we understand that this entire chapter really is about him setting himself up for people to see him as the authority figure in the kingdom of God, not in the kingdom of the earth. Because even though the people were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, as he's riding into town, eventually they're going to crucify him. So he was not the leader in that day for them to establish a kingdom on earth in that day. It was about the, the kingdom being established in the larger kingdom of God that would eventually culminate with his kingdom being established on the earth. So that's what we see here in Mark chapter 11. And so what you see is that they walk by, they see this fig tree that's withered. Peter remembers it and says to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you curse has withered. Now, the only thing that I can take from Jesus' response of have faith in God is he's looking at Peter. You know, Peter's the guy that always does it wrong, always says the wrong thing at the wrong time, does the wrong thing. That's Peter. He's like, oh, Rabbi, look, I, I almost feel like he's surprised that what Jesus said would happen happened. Because I don't know how Jesus cursed the fig tree, but I'm assuming it might have gone something like, oh, if you're not going to bear fruit, then you're going to go ahead and die, right? I'm cursing you. I'm cursing you to death because there's nothing good that's actually coming from you. And so they go away and they come back and lo and behold, look what he said had actually come to pass. And it's almost like Peter, who's walking around with Jesus, seeing him spit into the dirt and make mud and heal blind people and proclaim all these incredible truths and do these miraculous things and feed 5,000 with like two and a half fish sandwiches. Like it's almost like Peter sees him curse a fig tree and it actually does what Jesus said it would do and dies. It's almost like Peter's like, oh, wait a minute, Rabbi, you're never going to believe this, but what you actually said, it came to pass. Have you ever done that? Like you ever had anything that you could be thankful for? Like you believe that what God has done in your past is a blessing in your life, but when you get in a moment where something happens and you've been praying for it and it happens and you're like, oh, wait, a oh, you really do answer prayer. Oh, you really do bless people. You really, and then in the, later in the New Testament, I think it's in the book of Acts, we see this incredible story where Paul has been arrested and he's in prison and there's a group of people in a house praying for Paul to be released and Paul shows up and knocks on the front door and a little girl comes to the door and he's like, hey, I'm Paul. I'm probably the one you're praying about. And she slams the door in his face. And she runs back into the living room and says, hey, Paul's at the door. And they're like, no, he's not. He's in prison. Just some of you are going to catch the irony of that later. That what they were praying for had happened and they didn't believe that it had happened, right? I think I'm guilty of this a lot of times in my life. I pray for a lot of things. And sometimes when they actually happen... I don't actually give God the credit for doing what I've been praying and believing and asking him to do in my life. But Jesus just answers in response to this withered fig tree that Peter is astonished actually withered away to die. Jesus says, have faith in God. Now, if you try to define the word faith, depending on where you go, it would look something like this, complete trust or confidence in someone or something, right? You have faith, you have trust, you have confidence in someone or something. Or in a religious context, this strong belief in God or in the doctrines of religion based on a spiritual belief rather than proof. Because faith is not necessarily about what you can prove, it's about what you believe whether you can prove it or not. And that can be used a lot of different ways. You can, you can look at faith in a lot of different contexts, even outside of God or Jesus or Judeo-Christian values. But if we're looking at faith here, we're saying that I'm believing in something or someone. I have a confidence in someone or something. 
And as, as it relates to religion, as it relates to God, I have a belief that God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do even when the circumstances that I see with my eyes may not line up with that. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 is really the biblical definition of faith and it says this, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. How are you confident in something you're confident in something you're still hoping for? How are you assured of something that you don't yet see? You have faith. Faith is that thing. I'm going to call it a thing for a second. I don't know that that's correct, but faith is that thing that actually fills in the gap between where you are and what is not yet that you're hoping for that you're believing for. Faith is that thing that fills in that space between where you're at, what's going on, and what you're believing for. So let's keep reading in Mark chapter 11. Let's read the next three verses. Jesus has just said in response to Peter's astonishment that what Jesus said would happen actually happened. He says, okay, have faith in God. Let's keep reading verses 23 through 25. Truly I tell you, this is Jesus still talking here, If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now, can I be honest with you this morning? When I read the first portion of that passage of scripture, I really struggle with that. Like, I I really, really struggle with this idea that if I see a mountain and I say to that mountain, be cast into the sea, it'll be done. I, I really struggle with this idea that if I ask for anything in prayer and don't have any doubt that it will be accomplished. You know why I struggle with that? Because I tried it two days ago. I walked outside, I could see a mountain in the distance, and I said, go to the sea. It's still there. Now, the reality is, the reason that I doubt it is because I've prayed for things, and in my opinion, those prayers haven't been answered. When I was in the seventh grade, I forgot on a Tuesday that we had a geometry test. I I forgot. It was my fault. I had a lot going on on Monday. I'm sure I should have been paying attention. I should have written it down in my planner, but I didn't. And I showed up Tuesday to geometry class, and when I walked in, she was like, take out your pencils, put away your books, it's time for the test. And in that moment, I was pleading the blood of Jesus. (laughs) I had forgotten. And so here's what I prayed. Lord, I'm so sorry. I forgot to study for this test. I don't remember anything about the angles and the shapes and anything that we're doing today because I really wasn't paying attention a couple days ago. But Lord... If you let me pass this test, I promise you, I will give 50% tithes out of my paycheck. I will serve you the rest of my life. Like, Lord, anything you ask of me, I'll do it. I failed that test miserably. Well, the Bible says anything you ask. If you don't have any doubt in your heart, I didn't have any doubt. I was confident that the Lord would impart geometry, figures, and shapes and like I could just know it, right? It didn't happen. A couple years ago, my mom got sick. She was young. She loved God with all her heart. She got a bad report from the doctor. 
When I tell you that millions of prayers went up on her behalf, I don't think that's an exaggeration. She passed away. So when I read in Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, that whatever I ask for in prayer, believing that I will receive it, it will be mine. I struggle with that. I wrestle with that. All week long, I knew we were headed here, and I'm thinking, God, you, you got to help me. I, I don't know where this lands with me. Because I think sometimes I have viewed God the way that seventh grade Jeremy viewed God as my own personal wish granter. Genie in a bottle. That if I just ask him for something, a wish to be granted, that he would do it because he loves me. He's a good, good father, right? And so if I just ask him to do it, then he's got to do it because that's what the Bible says. And yet I believe sometimes what we've missed here is the proper context of what's being said. And I'm not manipulating scripture, I don't believe, at all. And I'm not trying to water this down so that it makes sense. I believe if we view this not as a single verse that we can use to name it and claim it, if we view this within the proper context of scripture, I believe then it begins to make a lot more sense to us. And the truth and the reality of the promises of God are shown to us rather than allowing us to feel hurt or to become jaded because we've seen people misuse this passage of Scripture. I remember when my mom was sick. There were very well-intended people who said very ignorant things. There were people that would walk up to us, and I would be with my mom, and they would say things to her like, well, if you just have faith to believe. I wanted to punch them in the face. I'm like, we've got faith. We believe. Like, that's not, that's not the issue here. There's something larger being played out here than the circumstances that we can see with our eyes. And so we find ourselves in a present reality, and there's something we hope for, and there's this gap of faith that we're living in that we're trying to determine what the future looks like in the economy and the kingdom of God. I believe that God can do anything. I'm going to say that again because that's important. I believe that God can do anything. I don't believe God will do anything. I believe God can do anything. I don't believe God will do anything. And what I mean by that is I don't believe that God will answer every prayer that you and I pray because I think you and I can pray a lot of things that are against the nature and the will of God. And I don't think God, as much as he loves us, will answer a prayer that you and I arbitrarily pray in a single moment to get out of a math test because of what it looks like in the larger story of God, in the larger kingdom of God, in the larger will of God for my life and for yours. And so before you think I'm a heretic and before you think that I'm speaking blasphemy and, and this is not the truth, I, I want us just to keep looking at some passages of Scripture that I believe support this idea that God can do anything, but he might not do what you're asking him to do. Because what he said here is he said that whatever you ask for in prayer. So let's jump back and look at what he told us about prayer. If you've got your Bibles open still, you can flip with me to Matthew chapter 6. If you've got your smartphone or whatever, you can just kind of click over to that. Matthew chapter 6, this is the place that Jesus taught us how to pray. 
Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, we're going to read through verse 13. This is the place that Jesus taught us how to pray. This is what he said, beginning in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I know when you read that, some people, they quote the Lord's Prayer. That's what's often called the Lord's Prayer. They quote that pretty regularly. They, they say that. They recite that at different times in their day or their week or their month or their life in general. But this is not necessarily just a prayer that you should quote verbatim by these words. It's also a place that we are taught. When you pray, this is how you should pray, is what he told us. So there is a form to this prayer that we take and lay over top of our prayer life and determine how we should pray. And so when we see this, we see a couple of things that Jesus is saying to us about the form of, the function of, the order of our prayers. If you notice what he says, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We are acknowledging who God is and the authority and the reverence of who God is before we ever get to anything else. We just say, our Father in heaven, you have a higher perspective than me. You're in a different place than I am. Now, we do believe that God is with us. His presence is with us. He's walking every step of this road and this life with us. But we also believe that God has a higher perspective. Uh, scripture tells us in the Old Testament in Isaiah that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. He has a different perspective than we have about the situations that are going on in our lives hallowed be your name, or holy is your name, reverenced is your name. So before I ever get to anything else, I have now set my mind and set my heart on who God is and what God is. God is holy, and he is in a different place than I'm in. Because that's important, because in the emotion of what I'm experiencing in a moment, if I get people around me have you ever noticed this? We all start thinking a lot the same way. We all start, the, the emotions weigh on us and, and we start worrying about some of the same things and we start getting worked up about some of the same things and we start doing some of the same things. And so what we have is we have a God who is walking with us, but he's also outside of the emotions and the circumstances that we're facing. But he's holy, he's hallowed, he's to be reverenced. So we see that we acknowledge God and his authority. The second thing we said... And prayer is that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We recognize that there's a larger story at work. After we've recognized that God has a different perspective and that he's holy and to be reverenced, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The place that we've already acknowledged you are, there's a story being written. There's a kingdom that's larger than the earthly kingdoms. And so we're asking you to accomplish your will, your kingdom, to be done here in our lives, here in our circumstances, just as you are working out at the higher place, the higher perspective that you're living in. And we still haven't asked him for a single thing. So we've acknowledged God and his authority. We've recognized the larger story at work. And then we present our needs when we say, give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts. And as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. After I have properly positioned God where God needs to be, then I take my place of petitioning God with the needs that I have in my life. That doesn't in any way undermine my ability to pray and ask God to help me pass a geometry test. It doesn't change one bit my ability 
or God's command for me to present to him the needs, the desires, the wants that I have. God, heal my mom. Help me pass this test. Help us pay our bills. Help me get this new job. Help me find somebody to live my life with. It doesn't in any way undermine our ability to present to God the needs and the desires and the wants that we have in our heart and in our life. But we present that to God with a proper understanding of who he is and what's going on around us in the kingdom of God and not just in the circumstance of my life. And so that's what we know about prayer. That we can ask God for anything, but we do it within the proper context of who he is. What did Jesus do in the garden? If you remember Jesus, before he was arrested, he asked his disciples, some of his closest disciples, come with me and pray. Come with me and pray. So he goes to the garden, and he leaves them, and he goes off by himself, and he's praying, and he's crying, and like he's earnest in what he's doing. And what does he do in that moment? He says, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering pass by me. Now, he was 100% God, and he was 100% human, uniquely blended together, we believe. According to John 1, we know that Jesus, who was in the flesh on earth, was also with God at the creation of the world. And so we believe that he was this unique blend of God the Father. He was God here on earth. And so we believe, I believe, that he understood what was before him with the cross. But he was saying, in my flesh, in my humanity, I'm asking you, God, to allow me to avoid the pain and suffering that was laid out before me in the cross. But do you remember what he said? Not my will, your will be done. Even Jesus, in his humanity, asked God for something that did not happen. Jesus said in the garden, let this cup of suffering pass by me. Don't make me do this. Don't make me take this suffering. But then he positioned himself properly by saying, not my will, but your will be done. So he says, listen, anything that you ask for in prayer, if you believe and don't doubt, it will be done. So what is he asking us to do? He's asking us to trust him. He's asking us to have faith in him. That's what he said to Peter, right? Have faith in God. He's commanding us to trust that the God who is in heaven and who is to be hallowed, who has a kingdom, who has a work, who has a story, is to be trusted when we present our needs to him that he knows better than we know what needs to be done and what needs to be accomplished. He's a good father. It's almost become cliche to say that, and, and we've sung that a good bit here in, in our church, and so for some of you, you've heard that, and you've heard even what we talk about, but I realize that some of you in this room, like you have a broken relationship with an earthly father in some form or some fashion, or maybe your parents or your grandparents, the people that helped to raise you or were over you or helped to provide for you, they didn't always give you not just what you wanted, they didn't always give you what you needed. And so when you hear that he's a good father and he gives to you what you need and that you should trust him to provide for you and to answer your prayers and to meet your needs, you might struggle with that idea. Even for somebody like me who had a great, has a great earthly father who always tried to provide for our needs and even for some of our wants, I sometimes struggle with this idea when prayers go unanswered or things happen in different ways than I wanted them to go. What is it that God is doing here and why didn't God answer that prayer and why didn't God do what I wanted him to do? I have to trust 
that God knows better than I know what I need. I don't know that I fully grasp that. I still don't get it. But as a father, I know that there are things my kids ask me for that I don't believe they need. They may need it at some point in their future, but they don't need it now. My 11-year-old wants a truck. (laughs) Not a toy truck. A real live truck that you drive. He's 11. He doesn't need that right now. He may need it one day. He doesn't need it right now. And so what am I doing when I say no to him? I'm not saying no forever. I'm just saying no for now. I think God does that sometimes. I think some people prayed that they would win the $540 million jackpot two nights ago. And unless you live in a really small town in Indiana and you just commute here for church, I don't think anybody in the room won it. Right? So if you prayed that prayer, God, I'm, I'm buying this ticket. Here's my favorite numbers. Like, Lord, just change the numbers to be whatever the winning numbers are so that I win $540 million and you didn't win. Guess what God said to you? No. Now, I don't know if he's saying no for now or if he's saying no forever. Because sometimes more money just makes you more of what you already are. And maybe he can't trust you with $540 million because he can't trust you with $54,000 a year. Because he's a good father who knows better than I know what I have need of. And so as a good father, what does scripture say? Matthew chapter 7, verse 9 through 11 say this. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks you for a fish, will give you a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God desires to give you good gifts, but he knows what is good for you. He knows what is good for you. Ultimately, it comes down to this question for me. Do I trust that God wants what's best for me? Do I trust that what God wants is best for me? I I realize, and I said it earlier, I realize that some of us, we struggle with faith. We struggle with prayer. We struggle with God. We struggle with asking God for things because in our past, prayers have gone unanswered. Even really good prayers, sincere, authentic prayers. I don't believe that praying your will be done means that we've got to pray starchy, inauthentic prayers. I think you beg of God to do whatever it is you want him to do. But I don't think that that means it's going to happen exactly like you want it to happen every single time. And I don't know why. Other than to trust that a God who tells us that he's a good father, who gives better gifts to us than we give to our own children, and better gifts to us than we think we deserve, knows what's good for us. And that if we present our needs to him in the proper context of who he is and where he is and what he's doing in the world, and we can ask him for anything, sometimes he's going to give us exactly what we ask for. And sometimes it's going to be a little different, and sometimes it's going to be not at all. Do I trust that God wants what's best for me? Because when I believe that he does, and when I believe that he can, that he can do anything, it changes everything about what I feel when a prayer goes unanswered. And so I want to give you a statement that's a little bit confusing, so we'll say it a couple times, and maybe you want to write it down, or maybe you want to type it into a note in your phone, because I believe that if you can grasp this, if I can grasp this, it will change everything about the way that we view God and the way we view faith in God. 
And this is what that statement is. Just because he didn't doesn't mean he can't. And just because he hasn't doesn't mean he won't. Just because he didn't doesn't mean he can't. Like just because he didn't do something that you wanted him to do doesn't mean he can't do it. Just because he didn't do what you wanted him to do as much as you possibly wanted him to do it doesn't mean he can't do it. I believe God can do anything. And just because he didn't do it doesn't mean he can't do it. Just because he hasn't done it doesn't mean he won't do it. Just because he hasn't done it yet, like you, you want it to happen now. You want, guess what? I passed geometry by the skin of my teeth <laughs> and a lot of prayers and a lot of study, I eventually passed geometry. The Lord brought to my mind remembrance of the concepts that had been taught in the class as I prepared myself in study to do what I was supposed to do to pass geometry. He didn't let me pass the test I was unprepared for, but by his help and my efforts, I passed geometry. Just because he hasn't done it yet, doesn't mean he won't do it. My 11-year-old doesn't need a truck right now, but he might get a truck at some point. But as his father, I haven't done it yet because he doesn't need it now. He can't handle it now. It's bigger than he can control, than he can handle. It's something that he doesn't know how to deal with yet, but I might one day. And so as a loving heavenly father, I can, or as a loving earthly father, I can, but I haven't yet. I believe if we could get this in our minds and in our hearts, our faith would change. Just because he didn't doesn't mean he can't. And just because he hasn't doesn't mean he won't. I believe God can do anything. I don't believe God will do everything that you ask. Because I think you and I can make up some stuff that's outside of the will of God, outside of the economy of God, outside the kingdom of God, that doesn't fulfill the purposes of God in our lives. And so I think we trust him. I think our prayer life is shaped by our faith that... He knows what we need because he's a good father that's not trying to hide stuff from us, not trying to keep stuff from us, but is trying to give us what we need to live the life that he wants us to live. And the reason that this is important is because we're praying some big prayers. I know you are. Some of you share those things with me. You trust me with the things that you're praying for in your life. Some of you wrote names on these post-it notes and you stuck them to this wall and those names and those situations are people that you are believing God to rescue from a life of sin. You're asking God to save your friends and your family members. You're asking God for, for a miracle in your finances. You are trusting God with some big things that you wrote up here. Listen, Trevor talked about it during the announcement portion. We're going to three services. We're not doing that because we got nothing else to do on Sunday morning. We're going to three services because on a regular Sunday in both of our present two circuit services, we need more seats for the people that God continues to send our way. We are using invite cards to get more people into this place. We want you to take these and trust God that your neighbor and your coworker and your daughter-in-law will take this and a conversation that's initiated through something like this and they will show up and God will save them. God will give them new hope and new purpose. We're trusting God for some big things. And so when we're trusting God for big things, we got to have big faith. I hope that nothing that I've said today in any way limits your faith to believe that God can do anything that you need him to do. I heard a story one time about a mother who had a son that she hadn't talked to in several years. 
He lived far away. He was far from God. He had had terrible ups and downs in his life, more downs than ups. And his life was in complete disarray. He hadn't talked to his mom. One day he just came to the end of all hope. He went to a local hardware store and he bought a bunch of rope and he drove his truck out into the woods. He took that rope and he tied a noose on the end of it and he threw that rope up over a tree and he tied it off. He put that noose around his neck and he got up into the bed of his truck. At the exact same moment, while he's out in the middle of the woods, without any hope whatsoever, his mom is cleaning his house, her house, several hours away. She hasn't talked to him in years. She's opened up the windows. She's doing some spring cleaning. She's cleaning that house and dusting everything that needs to be dusted and vacuuming everything that needs to be vacuumed. And she felt impressed to pray for her son. That impression, that voice of God, that still small voice, it's not an audible voice many times in our ears. It's something in our soul. It's something in our heart. And she felt that. And she said, I, I got to pray for my boy. And so as she's cleaning and as she's vacuuming, she's praying for Billy. God, touch Billy wherever he's at. I haven't talked to him in years. I don't know what's going on in his life. God, just touch Billy right now wherever he's at. And she felt through the power of the Holy Spirit this, this unction. That's a word I, I grew up in church hearing a lot. This, this unction, this thing inside of her, this Holy Spirit thing that prompted her to call out to Billy like she did when he was a little boy, when he would be out playing in the neighborhood. She would walk out onto the front stoop of their house, the front porch, and she would yell out when it was time for dinner, Billy, come home. Your mother needs you. She thought, well, man, I can't do that. My neighbors know that Billy hadn't lived here for years, and they know that he hasn't been home in years, and I can't do that, and the windows are open. They'll think I've gone crazy, and they'll call the, the, the people that come and take me away. I can't do that. And so... She just kept putting it off. She kept praying, and she felt like the Lord was saying to her, go out and yell, Billy, come home. Your mother needs you. And so she decided, I, I can't get away from this. And so she walked into her bedroom, and she closed the door, but she still felt like, no, they, they're going to be able to hear me. And so she went into her closet, and she closed the door. She got behind the clothes that were hanging up in her closet, and she took those clothes, and she pulled them over her mouth, and she whispered, Billy, come home mother needs you. A few minutes later, her phone rang. She picked up the phone and she said, hello. And trembling on the other end of the phone, a voice said, mom, are you okay? She said, yeah, I'm okay. He said, this is Billy. I just, I just need to know that you're okay. She said, I'm okay, are you okay? She said, baby, I've been praying for you. He said, mom, I, I don't think you're gonna believe this. But I was out in the woods and my life's been a mess the last few years and I was ready to end it all. And I was standing on the back of my truck with a rope around my neck ready to jump off. And through the leaves, the wind, I heard your voice like I did when I was a little boy when you would come out and call me for dinner and you would say, Billy, come home. Your mother needs me. And, and I didn't know what you needed. And I didn't know what was going on, but I knew that I could not end my life before I knew that you were okay. And she said, Billy, I need you to come home. And he got in his car and he drove home that night. 
And he went to church with her the next Sunday, and the Lord gloriously saved his life. And I know, like when I'm listening to that story, even as I tell it, I know some of you are like, man, that's such a preacher story. But I believe it to be true, because it is. And I don't know what you're trusting God for, and I don't know what you're believing God for, and I don't know if you've got a son that you just need to scream out, come home, your mother needs you, come home, your father needs you. I don't know if you're a son or daughter that needs to call out to a parent that's away. I don't know if you've got a financial miracle that you need to trust God for, a relational need that you need to trust God for. I don't know if there's somebody in your life that needs an invite to come and find hope and purpose and peace in their life. I don't know if you need to write somebody's name up here, but I believe that God can do it. Because I have faith in God. That when I understand who he is, And I understand that he's writing a larger story in this world. I can ask him for anything that I need. And the heavenly father that knows what is good for me will meet that need. And so here's what we're going to do as we close today. If you have any need that you are trusting God for, I'm going to ask you just to stand right where you're at. Before we bow our heads and close our eyes, we're going to pray in just a moment. But if you are trusting God for anything, that requires you just to believe God for it. You want to have faith in it. You want to ask God to do it. I just want you to stand right where you're at right now. If you want to trust God for something, just stand right where you're at. And we're going to pray and ask God to meet the needs that are represented by everybody standing in this place. And if you're still sitting, that's fine. I encourage you maybe just to reach over if somebody's close and just take them by the hand or put a hand on their back or on their shoulder. If you want to move to them, feel free to do that. And we're going to ask God by faith, with strong faith, to do what we need him to do. God, I thank you for every person in this place. I thank you for every person that's standing, God. I thank you, God, for the needs that are represented here because I believe that they are just part of the way that you're going to demonstrate your power and your your glory to us. God, I pray that you would grow our faith and grow our trust, God. I pray that you would help us to see you in a greater way. God, I ask you today for every person that's standing that that represents a need, that, God, you would meet that need. God, we have the faith to believe that you can do more than enough. But, God, we also know that you, you know what's good for us. And so, God, now we lean into the good Father that we sang about and that we believe, God that you know what's good for us, that you desire to give good gifts to us, you desire to do good things in and through us. And so right now, God, as we trust you for some big things, we ask you to do it. We believe that you're God. We believe that you're in heaven. We believe that you're holy. And God, now we present our needs to you and we ask that your will be done, even if we're uncertain how that matches up with what we're praying. God, do your will in and through our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's sing together. for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.